It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. When Premier Doug Ford announced the province was shutting down schools just after New Year's, people were mad. But, Ford told the people of Ontario, Omicron meant that a tsunami of COVID cases were on the way, and the province had to do whatever possible to slow the spread. Hospitals were about to be overwhelmed. There could be hundreds of thousands of new cases a day, although (laughs) who's counting now? And a somber Ford signaled it was time to get serious. We must do everything in our powers to protect our hospitals and to ensure our frontline workers aren't overwhelmed. However, this round of lockdowns, and particularly school closures, didn't fly with the public. Exhausted parents who can't keep up with working full-time while monitoring their kids' online learning were furious the PCs hadn't kept up their promise to keep schools open and safe. Then the government spun around and decided to reopen schools after all, starting this week. There's been rather less progress on the keeping schools safe part, though, which means that parents aren't really that much less mad, although perhaps they can now curse more freely, given that their children are out of the house, and perhaps vent their anger that way. So what exactly is driving Doug Ford's decisions now that we're at wave five of this pandemic? Today, we have some answers for you. Science, right? Tell me it's science. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and I'm back at home under a blanket, but this time it's kind of cozy. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I'm out here in the streets in my pickup truck, driving around Etobicoke, helping people out who are stuck in the snowstorm. 
premier or no premier, gotta help your neighbors. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. Over the past few months, Queen's Park Today, the political newsletter I publish, has managed to get its hands on a bunch of internal polling that's being conducted on behalf of Doug Ford's PC government. Unlike the horse race polls that get a lot of press ahead of an election, internal polling means that the results of the surveys aren't made public. Governments and political parties pay companies to take the public's temperature on policies they're considering, and they use that information to make decisions. In most cases, the questions the governments ask in these polls also don't get made public. I mean, you know, how many non-journalists are able to spring into action to record a phone call they've just picked up? But sometimes, surveys are conducted via online panels, and then lucky journalists like Allison can get a hold of screenshots. So the first thing that's interesting about these polls is the timing. We know they were in the field on December 31st, asking whether, in light of Omicron, respondents agreed the province should move quickly to reduce capacity in retail stores, shutter daycare centers, and younger grades of elementary schools. That late December poll also asked whether the provincial government should wait until it was certain Omicron would cause a new surge in hospitalizations and ICU admissions before it implemented any new public health restrictions. It also floated the idea of making vaccines mandatory in schools and asked whether people thought the government had been overreacting to the pandemic. So we don't know what the results of that poll were, but we know that only two or three days after it was circulated, Ford held a cabinet meeting where his team of advisors showed ministers that polling data and the next day they shut everything down. It's fun. Some of the some of the, the the poll questions generally are framed as binaries and which is closer to your view. And they actually write them as like, some people say this, but other people say this. And, you know, you have to pick which is closer to your view. And so that kind of reminds me of like a plank that Rob Ford floated at his 2010 campaign launch and then thankfully never mentioned again, which was like on a given issue, whichever constituency shows up to the city hall and yells the loudest wins. Or perhaps Doug Ford really is governing for the people when he just turns it around and asks, I don't know, what do you want to do? Cue the following week. As I'm sure our listeners know, Ford and the PCs did an about-face Monday night, just one week after announcing schools were closing, by leaking en masse to the Queen's Park Press Gallery that they'd be reopening on Monday, January 17th, which is the day we're recording, where in most of the province they're not opening because there's a blizzard. Mm. But neither here nor there. (laughs) In the meantime, the PCs did another round of polling, which I think we can safely assume showed a plunk in Doug Ford's popularity and a general opposition to school closures. So here's another question from there. Which is closer to your own view? Some people say that closing the elementary schools for in-person classes was the right thing to do because most elementary students are not yet vaccinated and more time is needed for vaccination and other safety measures to be ensured. Whereas other people say that closing the elementary schools for in-person learning was the wrong thing to do because children are at nearly 0% risk for illness and transmission and much more harm is being done to children by keeping them out of in-person classes. I mean, some people do say that, but I don't think that's fully true? I mean, children's risk of severe illness is very, very low, but that's not quite the same thing as illness overall. And also low transmission among children in schools is also largely dependent on there being 
sufficient prevention strategies in place. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, I suppose if you suggest that there's no downside to reopening schools, then that would, might seem a pretty attractive option in a survey. Interestingly, that latter poll also spills a lot of ink on questions about the vaccine passport. It basically wants to find out whether people think the vaccine passport still has a place, given the fact that vaccinated people and even boosted people can still catch and transmit Omicron. That comes with a twist of irony, since basically every location where a vaccine passport was required has now been closed. The only exception is actually for Olympic or Paralympic athletes who are training in or receiving physiotherapy in an authorized gym. For the vast majority of the population, we're all living exactly the same at this point, whether we're vaccinated or not. Except for the, you know, actually getting COVID part, and particularly what happens uh, when you do. In that case, we're not all living the same, or, or dying the same for that matter. It's probably time we mention who, specifically, is conducting these polls on behalf of the Ford government. The polls I mentioned, plus a ton of earlier polls I've seen, were conducted by Campaign Research, a polling firm co-owned by Doug Ford's advisor, Nick Kuvalis. Jono, tell our listeners who Nick Kuvalis is. Uh, The short version is that Nick Kuvalis was an obscure conservative strategist whose first great achievement was successfully navigating Rob Ford to the Toronto mayor's office in 2010. That against-all-odds victory earned him a lot of cred among conservatives, as did his relatively sophisticated approach to polling and data, which was still pretty novel for a municipal campaign at the time. In 2013, he helped steer the BC Liberals, which is that province's conservative party, don't ask, to a shock re-election victory. And the next year, he abandoned Ford for John Tory, helping make him the mayor of Toronto. And then he ran Kelly Leach's campaign to lead the federal conservatives, which, as we all know, she won in a landslide, becoming leader, then prime minister, and then eventually got empress. Now, he actually had to resign in disgrace from that one after calling a political science professor a cuck on Twitter. He'd gone pretty far in on the Trump train, tweeting some pretty vile stuff about Muslims in 2016 and early 2017, and very much placed Trump-like dog whistles at the core of Leach's leadership bid. Like, sort of imagine a candidate who combined Donald Trump's racist populism with Hillary Clinton's ability to connect on a personal level. Anyway, Coelis had to go away for a while, or at least he did go away or went a little bit quieter for a while. Uh, and that was hardly his first controversy, or even his first Twitter-based controversy, but I'm deeply resisting the urge to be floridly comprehensive. So let's put it this way. He's a larger-than-life character who loves being the villain. Most people orient themselves as the hero, or at least the, a good guy in their own mind. Uh, but he really seems to relish the role of evil genius, even if at least one of those words gives him too much credit. By 2018, he was hardly a pariah. I mean, John Tory still gladly worked with him in his re-election campaign, but still perhaps a bit of a distraction in that Tory was also grilled on how he could be mayor of a diverse city while remaining loyal to someone who spent a good year or so retweeting sentiments like masked Muslim migration will destroy Canada as we know it, and ostensible satire about Trump calling the metric system only good for measuring how big of a homophobic slur you are. So any work that Kvalis did in the 2018 Ontario election uh, was kept pretty quiet and deep behind the scenes. Yeah, up until around April of last year, 2021, talk about Kuvalis at Queen's Park was pretty much non-existent. The only time he popped up was on the lobbyist registry, where in late 2020, he started to register to represent clients like the Grain Farmers of Ontario, Cinespace Film Studios, and a developer called Eagles Rest Estates, 
that is building a, quote, private community of luxury homes in Barrie. But a bunch of stuff changed in April of last year after Ford made that very contentious decision to make playgrounds illegal and allow cops to stop and frisk anyone who leaves their homes. At that point, the wheels fell off for Ford and people started getting leaky. That's when the public learned that Kuvalis had actually been advising the premier for some time and that he was pro-lockdown. Kuvalis's position then, and maybe still to this day, is that the public wants lockdowns, so Ford's best move is to look strong in the face of COVID and shut her down. Even though his advisory role was now public knowledge, Kuvalis continued to be a registered lobbyist until June of last year. And he also, at the same time, continued to collect taxpayer money for his internal polling. Campaign research received more than $600,000 from PC Caucus Services Bureau in 2021, up from about $120,000 the year prior. Ah, PC Caucus Services. It's not quite the government, it's not quite the party, but it comes with a slice of cantaloupe at the end. Uh, a caucus services is kind of like an in-between thing where the official parties at Queen's Park each get a pool of money, public money, to spend on stuff. You know, everything from staffing their offices to advancing their, their legislative agendas. Uh, some of that money goes to Kavolis, who, in addition to the sorts of things I've already mentioned, has also tweeted or retweeted multiple things about George Soros or how how Clinton enemies turn up dead and how the January 6th attack was at least partly the work of Antifa, although he he did retract that last one. I'm not, however, aware of him having walked back his late 2020 skepticism of mRNA vaccines, which he was worried might be more dangerous than COVID itself. When I asked him last fall how he'd characterize his stance on vaccines these days, since, you know, maybe it changed, he, he simply recommended that I get vaccinated as soon as possible because it would, quote, protect your fat ass from going into ICU. Although he added a disclaimer that it probably won't help you get a social life, though, it will do nothing to improve your looks, and it won't help you to stop being an idiot. Jeez. Evil villain lines. <laughs> I mean, I guess you might be wondering, is it illegal for Nick Kuvalis's company to earn $600,000 in taxpayer money from PC Caucus Services while he is also lobbying for, you know, real estate developers and film studios. Uh, and the answer is no, actually. Uh, it's the, the type of thing that should probably be illegal, but Ontario's Lobbyist Registration Act really only governs the practice of people that either were in government or worked for a minister's office and, you know, whether or not they go and lobby right after that. Uh, Ontario's Ethics Commissioner, J. David Wake, has urged as recently as this spring for the government to review and tighten up the law uh, and, you know, encompass more activities in it. But up until now, they have not. So while I would say what Kuvalis was doing, um, you know, advising the premier while also taking money from him and taking money from clients would be frowned upon, uh, it's also uh, legally fine. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
So we've established Nick Kuvalas is a big player in the premier's office and that it's his polling and perspective that Ford and his team here at cabinet meetings and that he, in general, thinks Ford does better with the public when he acts strong and shuts stuff down. But there's one other big player that also rejoined the scene around the same time as Nick, and his name is Corey Tanike. Jonathan, who is Corey Tanike? Well, he's also a character, but perhaps slightly less so than Kuvalis, as illustrated by the fact that, in terms of word count, only about 42% of his Wikipedia profile is devoted to the controversy section, whereas for Kuvalis, it's a slim majority. So basically, Tanike was a PC youth guy, uh, the federal PCs, or, or remember them, uh, who defected and became a Reform Party youth guy, yada, 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 Unite the Right, yada, 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 Ethical Oil, and then he wound up with Stephen Harper as his director of communications for a bit in the late 2000s until he left to found the, the Sun News Network. Uh, former host Krista Erickson later claimed that he planned to make the channel even more conservative than it was after it received its mandatory carriage license from the CRTC, and that, that that would involve firing half the staff he suspected of being liberal sympathizers and replacing them with diehards. Uh, he, broadly speaking, disputed her story. Uh, anyway, Sun News didn't get that license, it flamed out in 2015, and then in the ultimate wandering in the wilderness metaphor, Tanike later turned up running errands for the rebel, specifically traveling to the UK to negotiate a sort of exit agreement with a pair of employees who were threatening to blow the lid off the whole thing. And then he ran Doug Ford's provincial campaign the next year. We have talked about Corey at least once before on the show, during our episode on Ontario News Now the Ford government's now defunct fake news propaganda YouTube and Twitter channel. And Facebook. And Facebook. <laughs> Tonight took credit for the idea during a post-2018 election debrief panel at Ryerson. And as Erickson said he'd told her at Sun News, you can't teach a producer how to be a conservative, but you can teach a conservative how to produce. Like Nick Kuvalis, Corey also has a history of lobbying at Queen's Park. After he finished his work on Ford's campaign and transition team, he went on to found Rubicon Strategy. And yes, the name is the obvious reference you think it is from the firm's website, which feels the need to explain it. In 49 BC, Julius Caesar crossed the river Rubicon with a single legion and went on to create an empire that ruled the world for over 400 years. That empire's influence is still felt today. Crossing the Rubicon has survived to refer to any individual or group that is prepared to irrevocably commit to a course of action that is all in. And and yes, that last sentence appears to have been partly lifted from the Wikipedia article for Crossing the Rubicon, which doesn't have its own controversy section but is flagged as wanting in citations. Since Tanike founded the firm soon after the 2018 election, he's recruited people like Patrick Harris, who is the PC Party's fourth vice president, Michael Coates, who was also on Ford's transition team, Jan O'Driscoll, who was a chief of staff to Ford's former minister, Jeff Urich, until 2020, and former CBC broadcaster Don Newman, oddly. The Rubicon team has become a force in the lobbying arena at Queen's Park. They have dozens of clients like Cadillac Fairview and Amazon and are for sure raking it in. And, you know, Ford has actually even really been asked about this, or at least about the fact that, you know, there's that overlap between his once and future campaign manager and you know, the lobbying <laughs> activities in the lobbyist registry. Uh, the Globe reported about this in 2019, and, uh, you know, here's what he had to say. People can give political advice. They've been doing it for centuries. Uh, I'll take political advice. 
but uh, no one interferes in any decision that we make as cabinet. We make a uh, decision cabinet as a whole, and uh, we're going to continue working that way. We've done some great things. No one influences my government. Last year. Yeah, no one influences it. We just spin freely. <laughs> so last May, also soon after the playground uh, lockdown police frisking scandal, Tanaik officialized his position. He took on a full-time role as the PC Party's campaign manager, um, which we always kind of knew he was going to do. He was on their, the Premier's Election Readiness Committee, which was announced back in 2019. Is that um, really a thing? Like, is that like Election Readiness Committee? They announce it like half a year after the last election and, th- and three and a half years before the next election. Like that strikes me as more of the sort of the thing you announce so that if so you can't if you people were later caught doing campaign work when they shouldn't have, it's like, no, 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 it's the election readiness work, not government work. But anyway, that's just that's just me. Yeah, or it's a way to like whatever reward people, right? Just kind of give them a tap on the shoulder, like, look, you're on my election readiness campaign. Better kiss up to me. Um, but they've already had to since change that membership at least once because of various reasons. But either way, so tonight's full-time job now is working for the Ontario PC party. We'll never actually know how much he earns by that. Um, but he's getting paid to technically advise on on campaign strategy, right? He's not actually supposed to be running the government. Um, although by all intents and purposes, from what I hear, that's, that's mostly what's going on. Especially hmm. since for the PCs, everything has been campaign strategy um, since, you know, at least last year, or maybe at least since they uh, ele- announced that election readiness committee. Um, so it really does seem like he's advising Ford on, you know, anything he needs at a given moment. And we know that he attends cabinet meetings and has threatened ministers not to leak those cabinet discussions to reporters. I've also heard from PC sources that he will check ministers' phones to make sure they aren't talking to reporters after meetings. So last May, Tanag officially stopped lobbying. He canceled all his, you know, ongoing registrations, but he still owns Rubicon. I don't know the specific details about how Rubicon operates, but my general understanding of lobbying firms is that they work similar to real estate agencies. The consultants they hire are like agents in exchange for a commission on all their deals with clients. They get an office, a computer, and a firm behind them. So that means that very likely, even though Corey isn't currently lobbying, as long as his firm is still thriving, he is getting richer. And of course, you know, if you are a client or a potential client of Rubicon, you know are likely to know that Corey, you know, is advising the premier and maybe it would be smart to hire a consultant from that firm as compared to a, you know, rival firm, because you're going to be that much closer to having the premier's ear. So that was what Charles McVitie tried to expose last fall in one of those cases where someone just barely grazes a legitimate point. Well, I interviewed McVitie last fall, and I asked him about this because he was starting to publicly raise some ire about Tonight, which seems mostly related to the fact Ford stopped taking his phone calls after Tonight got back in the picture. So McVitie posed this as a question and said, how can Tonight be leading the party and the caucus on a regular basis when his company benefits from those decisions? It's wrong. And that's a good point. 
But as you might expect from a far-right evangelical, his approach was both heavy-handed and ham-fisted, with, I guess, I guess that makes heavy ham hands, launching a website dubiously claiming that the real reason behind Ford's push for vaccine passports was to make money for the pharmaceutical companies Tonight's firm represents. For his part, Tonight told me that Charles McVitie is a conspiracy theorist. He is to Canadian politics what Alex Jones is to U.S. politics. Which I, which I found a surprising comment, because I, I was under the impression that Tanike was still friends with Ezra Levant, who has actually sat in for Alex Jones on InfoWars. But anyway. So this, you know, tiffed between McVitie and Tanike has gotten even hotter since. Now Tanike is actually suing McVitie for $3 million in a defamation suit and has hired Marie Heinen's law firm to do so. And honestly, after reading the statement of claim, I would say he's a good shot at winning. I also feel like this is so inside baseball, but there's something pretty fun about being reporters in Toronto long enough that we're putting together a podcast episode where the names Nick Kuvalis, Corey Tanike, Charles McVitie, and Marie Heinen all appear. I mean, I feel like it's kind of cheating, though, since, like, yeah, the firm is, is Hen and Hutchison, but it's the Hutchison half. Uh, Scott Hutchison, he's hired. Come on, have some fun. So we've had a lot of digressions, but I think the point we want to hammer home is that Doug Ford is listening the most keenly to two men, Nick Kuvalas and Corey Tanaik, both of whom have enormous professional and financial stakes in Doug Ford being reelected premier on June 2nd. The decision Ford's making about whether your kids can go to school or whether you can dine in a restaurant are based on what these two guys are telling him to do. Public health is a major afterthought to the politics. Every time the chief medical officer of health, Dr. Kieran Moore, delivers an announcement instead of a government official, that's because Corey and Nick think it would look better if Ford stays away from the camera. Every time Ford is in front of a camera, it's because their polling or political instinct says that's a good idea. So now our government is effectively produced by the people who brought you Sun News and Rob Ford, which I guess is kind of evident in as much as it, the, the premier is Doug Ford, who also brought us Rob Ford to an extent, and who also had a show with his brother on Sun News, which lasted one episode. And oh, and, and they were interviewed by Ezra Levant. I never actually watched that whole thing. And what's also so interesting is that if you've been watching the Toronto Sun columnists over the past two years, they've been pushing the narrative that Ontarians are being governed by a dictatorship, meaning that public health officials and the medical class are the ones keeping us in various states of lockdown. And those Sun columnists are also quick to note that these are unelected public health officials who are allegedly governing us. The word unelected always comes up. But in reality, at least at this point, it's two unelected guys named Corey and Nick. And they're not just like unelected. Like they, technically, they don't even work there. <laughs> they're just like guys hanging around. And now it's time for Foreseeable Disaster of the Month. Allison? My foreseeable disaster is the future of downtown Toronto at the hands of the Doug Ford government. Oh, that's fair. Toronto City Council voted last month to approve an absolutely massive list of downtown street and sidewalk closures that are required to build Ontario Line stations, many of which are going to stay closed until 2029, seven years. At, at least seven years. Yeah, at least seven years. 
the Ontario line, uh, which is Doug Ford's kind of premier uh, $28.5 billion transit plan uh, or part of part of his huge transit plan involves six new stations coming to the downtown building them and the subway line underneath them is going to necessitate ripping up tons of roads for many, many years, which will derail current transit lines. Uh, Specifically, probably most affected will be the Queen Streetcar and obstruct sidewalks and bike lanes. It's not that I don't think Toronto needs a more fulsome transit system. It, It does. But after the past two years of pandemic and the previous decade of commercial rent hikes and just general rent hikes, Toronto's downtown is already hurting. Almost entire retail strips. Um, I was actually by the Canada Land office last week and on Queen Street there, just everything is empty. Queen uh, Queen and Dovercourt, which that sort of West Queen West area, which Vogue magazine, I believe, um, had like named. Mm. I don't know. What did they call it? They gave it some. I don't want to remember that era. OK, well, some, you know, like hippest neighborhood in the world type designation oh is like literally empty except for cannabis stores, which that is also yeah. <laughs> an impact of, of provincial policy because. There's no rule in Ontario anymore about how close cannabis stores can be uh, from one another, which is why they're absolutely everywhere and driving out other businesses, Um, even though the municipalities have asked to be able to, like, make their own bylaws. They can't uh, under provincial law. So I, I think just important to think about how these provincial decisions are destroying Toronto and seems like we're going to make this place a lot worse by 2029. Yeah, I mean, you know, betting that a conservative government's or provincial conservative government's decisions will have long-term ripple effects on the health and livability of the city of Toronto is is is, is, a, is a, it's a very it's a very safe bet. Um I do feel like I want to point out like the city of Toronto had, or TTC had, they had previously what is now, I guess, the middle-ish part of the, of the Ontario line from roughly Osgood up to Broadview Pape was something the city had wanted to build anyway as a downtown relief line, uh, except, you know, now um, given that, you know, more people will continue to work from home and that it's unlikely that the young line will ever again be bursting at the seams the way it had been in the years part of the pandemic, at least during rush hour. So it's not even clear that that's totally necessary in the same way now. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, many disasters. And yeah, like seven years, 2029, no, I mean, you, you've lived in Toronto most of your life, Alice, and a seven years transit construction means 10 years at least. And not just transit, I shouldn't pick on them. Any major infrastructure, seven years means at least 10, probably 11 years. Um, My foreseeable disaster, well, I mean, I didn't have one off the top of my head, but then just before we were recording this, we learned that Doug Ford was out uh, driving around in the blizzard trying to help people stuck in snowbanks while also um, video calling or FaceTiming, what have you, with CP24 as he did that. Well, I was just picking people up, checking on, on people, George, like everyone else is helping out. Gentlemen right here, I'm just going to make sure our car's empty. Yeah, just making sure the car's, uh, you know, people aren't uh, stranded. 
And I feel like there's a, a lot of things about that that are foreseeable disaster. Um, the best case scenario, I suppose, was that he was that he, you know, retires from politics into some sort of Mr. Plow type role. I feel like that would be very well, his personality would be very well suited to that. And the worst case scenario is that he ends up on uh, Heavy Rescue 401, which is an actual TV show that I have never seen and hope never to see, but it's on Crave if you want to see it. And I, whether he's the rescuer or the rescuee, I feel like him appearing there is... <sighs> Not what we want, but probably what we deserve. And that was Wag the Dog, a show about crossing the Rubicon in the blizzard. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Kevin Sexton produced this episode. Our managing editor is Kieran Outshorn, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like what we do, support us for just five bucks a month at wagthedog.com, or, of course, click on the link in the show notes. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.